Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Welcome everyone. <laughs> again. Um, today we have the pleasure of having back with us again Stephen Tiernan. Stephen is Professor of Community Mental Health and Chair of the Masters in Counseling Psychology Core Curriculum at CIIS. He's a licensed psychotherapist in California and a nationally certified counselor, an ordained Buddhist priest. He is the co-founder and chief education officer of the San Francisco Mindfulness Foundation. Dr. Tierney lectures and leads workshops and retreats nationally and has taught at a number of universities. His areas of interest include Buddhist psychology and mindfulness-based therapies for addiction, recovery, and resilience, resiliency services and uh, we had the pleasure of having Stephen uh, lead our annual retreat last fall. So, good to see you again. Welcome back, Stephen. Thanks. Hi, everybody. <coughs> it's great to be back since last I saw you. I'll have to update that thing at some point. I'm officially retired as of June 1st. <laughs> but they were kind enough to name me as a professor emeritus, so technically I would just okay. have to stick an extra word in there that means... Still can teach, but doesn't. <laughs> so it's great to be with you. Um, uh, a couple years ago, I was here during Pride Month as well, so um, it's particularly um, joyous for me to be in this group um, that I promise to come to frequently every time I get the chance to be here. Um, and now that I'm retired, I have no excuse, so if I, if I don't show up once in a while, um, we'll have to do something about that. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, what I thought I'd talk about today is a favorite um, theme of mine, which is the whole idea of how we live as uh, Buddhists and as uh, gay men. Um, and Pride Month seems to be a good month to do that. And I think it's that honesty thing. How do we live with honesty and integrity? Um, it is a, is a unique um, opportunity and challenge for us. I think you know we can say that this is Gay Pride Month and that we as gay men we'll be celebrating pride and, and um, think about what that means. And, you know, the wonderful news is there's not a right or wrong answer to that. Um, but there are 30 of us in the room, and I'm guessing that there's at least 30 answers to what this month means to people. Um, everything from a brilliant celebration of our, of our history to I can't wait to get out of town before all the tourists come and mess up my parking in my neighborhood. Um, and, you know, all of those things are true, and, and, and uh, all of them uh, quite reasonable um, things for us to think. So then comes the matter of how do we decide what the truth is. Um, I, uh, in the course of teaching at CIS, had a young woman come in to me one, one year and wag her finger in my face and say, how dare you? was a weekend program. How dare you have classes taught on Gay and Lesbian Pride Day? Mm -hmm. um, and this is, it should be a holiday just like all other holidays. Yep, da, 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 and she was, um, and there was just something about her. So I let her talk for a while about the importance of gay pride. And I said, <laughs> I said, um, 
are you a lesbian? And she said, no. And I said, are you trans or bisexual? She said, no, I'm an ally. And I said, no. I said well, just so you know, I said, um, I, I have some history in the community um, dating back about 100 years. Um, <laughs> and while, I, while I appreciate that you're an ally, um, you'll please refrain in the future from wagging your finger in my face and telling me about gay pride and oppression. And so she said, well, uh, so she went away and came back a few weeks later and she said, oh my God, she said some people told me, you know, some of the stuff you've done in the community and I really want to apologize. I said, don't. I said, that was your truth that day. Now you have a different truth. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a truth about you that day. <laughs> now I have a different truth. Um, so, so I think that's part of it. It's, it's um, this idea that we have that we have a truth, that we know what the truth is. Particularly in the world we live in today, um, you know, we can sort of ask ourselves, well, why do we get so attached? You know, we know at some slogan level or at some heart level, some continuum in there, we know that there's no such thing as truth, right? That as Buddhists, we know that there's relative and absolute truth, that all of that is based on where we are and who we are and who we're with um, and, and where we sit as a, as a person. Um, in the midst of, of the world. Uh, and, and, you know, we go to the, the Buddhist teaching of emptiness, that, that uh, form, does not equal, form equals emptiness, emptiness does not equal form. And then we all get freaked out. It's like you've probably all been to retreats and workshops where we talked about, well, what the hell does that mean? Can't be emptiness. I'm right here, and you're right there. So we're not empty. Um, and then we study and we study, and we find out that what emptiness means is is that we're not individual <clears throat> without being part of this chair and, and the friends that are in this room and the friends to be met. And, um, and so it's, it's that concept of emptiness. It's just, you know, it's not, we are not independent um, in, in any stretch. So as I was thinking about this, I looked, there's an a, a ancient teacher named uh, Nargujana, um, uh, and it was a very interesting, uh, some stuff I was reading, um, that he came up with, and this was centuries, uh, just shortly after uh, the Buddha, so centuries ago. Um, so he's had this interesting idea, and he said that as they were debating, <clears throat> everybody knows that the Buddha gave his talks, and then people wandered around repeating them for 500 years or so, and then they had a council meeting, and a committee of people sat down and wrote down what the Buddha said, um, and then it was edited and handwritten and passed from community to community. <clears throat> and so here are these teachings that some Buddhists hold to be the truth, right? Those sutras are, that's the way it must be. Um, and I'll talk more about that in just a second. <laughs> but, but lineage just started to develop in different schools of Buddhism because people said, well, what is it the Buddha's actually teaching? And, and you must go with this particular teaching or this particular teaching. And um, what Nagarjuna said was that, you know what, he, he said, I stepped back from that argument, and you know what I discovered? That when you're arguing with him, and you both have a really strong point, at the end of the day, what you're actually doing is allowing the arguments of, of, your, of the other um, to get stronger. Because I said my truth, and then you said something to me, questioned that, or um, moved it someplace. And, you know, some human beings don't want to be moved, so I came up with a better argument, and you said something else, and I came up with a better argument. <laughs> and then what he was experiencing as these lineages started to form 
wasn't that they were finding some common ground, but that in fact they were getting siloed and tightened up in the places they had been, and that the more they engaged in what, what used to be called Dharma battle, um, <laughs> uh, nice, nice expression, right? The, the more they engaged in Dharma battle, the less likely they were to, um, to, uh, to come to any common ground and understanding. And so the, the lineages, and if you've ever seen the lineage map from Buddhism, it's quite funny, because we all started from the teaching of the Buddha, which is, you know, very simple, I think. <clears throat> and there are lineages, hundreds, thousands of them, little lineages. Um, and so it's a very interesting um, thing to watch. And it's particularly interesting these days as people talk about ecumenical Buddhism, trying to get everybody back together. And if you have been to any of those conversations, um, you know that we, we have uh, carried on the work of our forefathers and mothers, that that, uh, that, that idea is still a work in progress. Um, so what he also taught, though, however, is he said that you know one of the things is that we have this idea that oneness is a good thing. Um, and and that that's what we should be doing, and that there is a common ground. And, that, and what that says is that then there is a truth, that somewhere, either spoken by the Buddha or um, somebody, um, that there is something called the truth. And and again, going back to the basics of Buddhism, um, we hold we hold it that it's all um, uh, relative and relational, basically. Um, so what he suggests um, is that we stop looking for oneness. And his teaching um, was that, and he didn't use this word, but it's used in Tricycle Magazine last month, but we look for multiplicity. That you've read the sutra, maybe you've heard about it, the sutra on harmony and difference, um, and that the real richness of our Buddhist practice um, and the real richness in a room like this, if we were to have a discussion of what does being gay in 2018 mean and and how are we called to treat each other and what are we called to do, the real richness of that is that we would not have one answer, right? We would not have one answer. There wouldn't be one way to approach each other. There wouldn't be one way um, uh, to, there wouldn't be one organization or one way. Um, and as we know, there are lots of um, opportunities to even practice Buddhism um, in the gay or LGBT community, um, in the Bay Area, lots of different ones. And so he challenged this concept of emptiness, and I think um, I'm, I like his teachings and, and, and reading more and studying more, because what he says is that it's not about emptiness. The Buddhism is not about emptiness, um, um, but that that no self teaching that we have um, is actually not about emptiness, but it's about everything. So it's not that I don't have an opinion or that I don't have a life um, without you. Um, or without this place, it's that I have a life with all of you and, and including all of you. And that, you know, for those of us that get an opportunity to teach once in a while, that his teaching says that, you know, it's not like, he, he said, he used to think that it's not like I say something and I expect you all to change. He said, the fact is, I'm going to say something, and in the next hour you are going to change. Um, some, because you've been deeply moved by my wisdom. Uh, some, <laughs> some because you're wondering if I'm watching the clock. <laughs> some because you have brunch plans after this, and really you know enough about Buddhism that you don't really need to sit through this. So there's all, all those reasons, all those things, hopefully some of the first one. Um, but then he said there's a real difference in perception um, to look at us, a form is not emptiness, but to look at that not as um, nothingness, but as everythingness. 
right? Don't get attached because we are, in fact, and, and, and we all know that, um, that some of you probably have had experiences already today where you got up <clears throat> with a plan for your day and a deep sense of how you intended to be as a, as a man in the world and, 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 you know, little bit by little bit that's, that's changed us. Um, it didn't happen to me today, but I often tell the story myself that I'll do my morning meditation and recommit to my vows of living as a bodhisattva and being kind, and then I get on Muni and West Portal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and all bets are off. Um, so there's a little poem that, that's in Tricycle Magazine by, by, by Nagarjana, whose name I probably mispronounced, and it's in an article by someone named Kurt Spellmeyer, and so I want to put his name in the room in case he's here. Um, it's a great article. Um, but the poem goes like this. Without one, there are not many. Without many, there is not one. Therefore, dependently arisen entities have no characteristics of their own. These two do not exist without depending on each other. So, you know, it's an interesting thing then. It's like, so, on the one hand, we want to live in some sort of community. Um, and we want to be open to change, um, but we live in a world where it's kind of important for us to, to have some beliefs. We can't just walk through life um, encountering everything that gets said and everything that gets done as though we're all equally good or bad. And yet, there's something in our Buddhist teaching that says, you know, the, the path um, is not difficult for he who has no preferences, right? And so I know in this group, we all just dismiss that right out of hand because we all have some preferences, right, um, of one kind or another. <clears throat> so it becomes um, this idea of this multiplicity, um, knowing that there are many ideas that we're going to encounter and knowing that we are going to bring our wisdom to those um, ideas and we're going to bring our curiosity to those ideas and hopefully we're going to bring dignity to those ideas. Um, but that as individuals and as a community, um, we are going, you know, um, uh, uh, Ann Richards in Texas said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> does it sound so, yeah, yeah. Um, so, we don't have to agree with everything and we don't have to disagree with everything. I think we now live in a, in a media age where kind of, the idea is to whatever you hear to disagree with it and to demonize it and to make it awful, um, and some of it is um, demon-like and awful. But, but not necessarily how I want to spend my um, psychic and spiritual energy. I don't think. So, um, Spellmeyer in that article says, I want to read this, get his words because they're pretty good. Um, when we encounter people quite different from ourselves, especially when we find them close by, we may experience what feels like a loss a loss of our sense of unity or wholeness. We become like exiles in our own land, and that sense of exile fuels much of the rage that we see everywhere today. And so <clears throat> the way I interpret that is, um, in the easiest way, because everybody can smile at this, whoever you voted for, um, but if you happened to go to Thanksgiving dinner last year and your favorite Aunt Clara told you that she voted for Donald Trump, um, or your least favorite Uncle John said that he voted for Hillary Clinton and then they gave you the reasons for that. Um, and if you're like most families, there was a moment of breathlessness <laughs> while you tried to figure out what on earth do I do with that piece of information. 
Um, and then you realize that when we come to truth, when we come to decision-making, when we come to setting our moral compass um, in life, it, it, you know, some of it comes from genetics. Genetics and our own experience, right? So we have genetics and our own experience that leads us to um, be who we are in the world and uh, meet each other the way we meet each other. So when we're thinking about what is truth and where does it come from and what does it mean, and then somebody close to us has an opinion that's very divergent from ours, um, and some justification for it. They, they, they know why they believe what they know. Um, so I think the important thing there is, is to know that if your favorite Aunt Clara told you that she voted for a candidate completely opposite yours, the one you voted for, whoever that might be, um, and some of us may have those conversations on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, again, um, some with equal vigor and interest. Um, and pretty much by Friday, we won't care, but on Wednesday, we, we, we will have tremendous um, uh, conversations about what we did. Um, and mine will start with trying to understand what the hell ranked choice voting is, but that's, that's, that's another talk for another day. Um, so another little teaching on this matter that I want to share with you, even when we call self-awareness, even what we call self-awareness, comes via a detour we take when we encounter others. Even what we call self-awareness comes via a detour we take when we encounter others we, <clears throat> who show us to ourselves from a new angle. So we encounter others who show us to ourselves from a new angle. The difference we find in our world then offers us priceless opportunity to become something more than we are right now. This truth is exactly why strangers and strange ideas can be so threatening. They force us to confront our own openness. We can either close or open, um, or we can embrace the endless possibilities of becoming. And it seems to me that's really what our Buddhist practice is about. Buddhist practice gives us this opportunity to bring full awareness to our original nature. So some of you, perhaps like me, went through periods um, you know, we know in New York there, there uh, Boys in the Band is uh, on Broadway, and some of you saw that movie, um, and maybe all of us at some point in time, and I know for myself that that, that uh, movie described a period of time and a certain group of gay men surviving in a certain location. Well, <clears throat> I'm sure if we took this conversation over tea and coffee outside and talked about what that what that movie and those words and that script mean, mean to us um, and what it meant to us in whatever, the 60s, when did it come out? 60s? Late 60s. Hmm? Late 60s. Late 60s. Um, and what it means, what it has meant to different generations of gay men since then and what it means now um, for it to be on Broadway. <clears throat> Looks like it's going to win some Tony Awards. The, the, the stars of it are on all the talk shows and so forth. And so now that language and that way of encountering each other is back in the world. And so, you know, when I first heard it, that that was going to be a play on Broadway, I remember cringing a little bit and thinking, oh, man, that, that, it, it's that the language and the way, the way those guys treated each other, um, you know, tough stuff. And I, I don't think that, you know, unless they put it in on Broadway and only let gay people go see it, I don't think I would <laughs> probably still be a hit. Um, but I don't know that everybody needs to see that. 
And then I've been going through, you know, listening mostly, because, um, uh, yeah, mostly listening and sometimes commenting on what that means. And, and you know, for me, I've been reunited with my original thought about it back in the day, um, which was that those, that script was written by and developed by and produced by and directed by and acted by um, guys who, um, and some of us are those guys, um, you could not be out at work, you could not be out um, at home, you could not be out in your spiritual community. Um, there wasn't even any language for the idea that somehow society or family would support um, long-term or permanent relationships. Um, and you couldn't even, you know, properly cruise or, or meet people um, because it was dangerous, you know. Uh, if you were in the armed service, it, it could get you tossed or jailed. Um, and in lots and lots of jobs, at one of my retirement things, they said to me, well, we, we heard you always wanted to be a school teacher with little kids. Why didn't that ever happen? And I recounted the story that in 1968, the dean of the college um, took me aside and said, people like you cannot teach school, so don't waste your time taking those classes. Um, and, and, you know, so we had all of that stuff going on. So what I remember is that, you know, the, the velvet rage, that internal, um, damn, this hurts, and I don't know what to do with this, and I can't really do anything with it because I'll be permanently unemployable and without a family and blah, 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 all that stuff. And so what happened um, for me and, and my friends, and maybe for some of you, is we had parties just like that one in that, in that play, and people were dishy and campy and a little bitter because it was a whole week's worth, or however long it's been since your last party, a whole week's worth of experience that was nestled right in here and was cramped and horrible. And then when it was time, you know, you said something to me about my shirt and all bets were off. You know, it's like this was our this was our version of gay community and we were all here to support each other. Um, and all I'll say is that I was at lots of, as much as I'd like for them not to be showing that to straight people in 2018 on some level, um, that's a very accurate portrayal of some experiences that I had. And, and I judge from the nodding of the heads in here that, that some of the others mm -hmm. of you have had also. And so, you know, <clears throat> I have strong opinions about that. And as somebody who lives in our community um, where I see the federal government rolling back um, some of the um, health benefits and rights, um, basic common decency, civil rights that we've had, you know, it's like we need to have these strong truths and we need to have, um, you know, we need to have... Uh, clear definitions of how we protect each other as a community. And yet I'm guessing, um, and no, I'm guessing, I'm sure, that if we said by show of hands how many people um, think that that place should be on Broadway, there'd be a variation in the room. And then we could ask how many of you would go see it if you could. There'd be another variation in the room. Mm -hmm. I don't think it should be there. But if I got a ticket to New York, I'd probably go see it just so I could, <laughs> just so I could be sure. Um, <laughs> So I think that this whole idea of how we live in, in family, um, or how we live in community, how we live in Sangha, um, uh, and how we take care of ourselves, because the Buddha said that the path is not difficult for those with no preferences, so we know we have preferences. Some of those preferences are about survival. Some of those preferences are about protecting ourselves from, from uh, rules and regulations and structures that don't serve us. And yet, even there, we have to, we have this opportunity. Um, there are certain people in the world, starting in your families, I'm sure you can all smile if it's true. There are certain people in the world that the minute they start talking, A, you know what they're going to say, 
and B, you know you're going to disagree with it. Um, and, so, and so the minute they start talking, we switch the mode from openness. I just finished meditating, and I'm a developed spiritual guy, and I love everyone, and I want the whole world to be in oneness. Uh, but Uncle Bob is talking, and he's such a pain in the ass. And I just, as soon as he's done talking, I have to engage with him in an argument, because otherwise people in this room might listen to that and think it's okay, or think that that's the truth. And so not only am I going to disagree with him, but it is my job to make sure everybody else knows that he's wrong and, and morally culpable, or whatever it is that I think about good Uncle Bob. So, so then how do we do that? How do we sit on our zafus um, as, uh, as often as we can and come together in a sense of equanimity and peace and then at the same time um, uh, you know, prepare ourselves to be, to be with each other and in the world? Um, and, and I think that there's some really wonderful, powerful teachings in our Buddhist teachings that tell us that um, we have a vow to live skillfully, right? So we don't say there's no sin in Buddhism. So even if I trash Uncle Bob, it's not a sin. Um, but what we do think about in Buddhism is, is it skillful or is it unskillful, right? Um, does it move my world and our world into a place of peace and equanimity? Um, or does it move the world into a place where, you know, <clears throat> as I said in the beginning from the, from the second century, we have known in those teachings that if I argue with him, his position is going to get more solidified um, and probably further out in whatever direction it came from um, because he's now trying to one-up me and, and you know that's the sort of world we live in. So I think the Buddhist teachings um, can really help us with that um, is that in the first place um, we, our ideal is to have right speech and right intention and those of you that know Thich Nhat Hanh know he's taken the word right out of his, his precepts and he has the word, word wholehearted in there that we really give our full selves to understanding um, our intentions and our speech and our meditation, mindfulness. Um, and so when it comes to this idea of, of um, uh, what's true and what's, what's truthfulness and what we can work with, um, if I start by accepting the reality that everything changes, right? So I know absolutely what I think about the boys in the band. Um, and I knew something very different last week. And, you know, after I talked to some of you, I'll know, I'll know something different again. And so if I can just get comfortable with that, that it's like, ah, my um, reaction, my feeling, my thinking, how I hold that, um, whatever that truth is, <clears throat> um, if, I, if I recognize that that's all going to change on a pretty regular basis, and that, um, you know, there are some times when I need to have a truth that protects me or... or in my view, all of you, um, you know, but most of the time it's just me locking down because you know we we all I and some of you like to argue and like to be right. Um, and if I can remember all that, if I can approach it, that seems to me to be something about wholesomeness. Um, and then there's a wonderful teaching of the Buddha that, that in in the teachings on right speech that says, when I speak, I should choose my words carefully. Um, and that the reason I should choose my words carefully is because of Sangha, because of Sangha. And this is a really powerful teaching for all of us, I think, because it's, it's not just if I looked at Oscar over here and said, you know, you should be sitting over here, that's wrong for you to be sitting over there, what's the matter with you, are you stupid or what, get over here. Um, we all know that that would be way wrong, um, unskillful, um, would not build Sangha, and hopefully the group of you would stand up and tell me to get out. 
Um, but we also, you know, that's, that's a, it's a, a rash, terrible example, but um, we also know that that wouldn't just have an impact on Oscar. That some of you would be wondering, why did he say that? And what did Oscar do? And some of you would be wondering, why is Oscar sitting over there going to business every week? And every week somebody tells him to move. Um, and, you know, we would have all those thoughts. And so <clears throat> what the teaching of the Buddha is in terms of everythingness, in terms of uh, the emptiness factor that we have, is that as soon as those words are put into, into the room, they have an impact on everybody in the room. And then some of you go out um, to, to dinner afterwards and you're trying to figure out what that engagement, what that thing was about. And <clears throat> we form opinions about what it was about. And it frustrates some of us. And so some of us go home and say, you know what, I'm not going back to that thing because pe people talk mean to each other and I'm done. And so somebody could theoretically be separated from this opportunity to experience the Dharma, the, uh, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha based on words. And so most of us would never be in a position to do that. That's way out there on the, on the fringe. But I bet you can think of somebody in your life, if not you, um, uh, who said something um, that as soon as it got out of their mouth, um, they thought, ooh, I wish I wouldn't have said it quite that way. I wish I wouldn't have said that. And so maybe um, you had the skillfulness to go back and say, Oscar, I'm really sorry. I'm, uh, you know, I was I had too much coffee and I didn't mean to speak to you in that tone of voice and I really apologize. And so, you know, maybe the bridge was re rebuilt there. Um, but we don't often go and do go around the entire room and say, you know what, everybody, I'm sorry. I, you know, there was this this vocabulary, there was this intention or whatever it was. Um, and so, <clears throat> our our opportunity is to be completely mindful. Right speech calls on us to be mindful of what we say because it comes from our heart and our spiritual our practice. It comes, it comes through us. Um, but also, um, every time we get ready to speak, to take a moment to pause. You know, Buddhist practice, take a deep, a couple of, Thich Nhat Hanh teaches to take three deep breaths before you say something. And some of you have studied with him, so you know he says, is it true, is it useful, and is it necessary before you speak? And particularly if you're feeling angry or frustrated or scared before you speak the next words from your mouth. And <clears throat> what he teaches is that that won't necessarily change what you're going to say, but if you pause long enough to ask three questions, um, oftentimes it's kind of like the, the uh, send button on your computer. Um, you can type something in and it can be really, you can get all sorts of stuff out of you onto the computer screen. Um, and then you sit back for a minute, hopefully, and you reread it before you send it. Mm. And so that's what he's suggesting is that we don't have to hit send automatically when thoughts come, come to, our, to our mind. But to really just stop and say, what will be the impact of this on the person I'm speaking to, the other people in the office? Um, if it was with favorite Aunt Claire at Thanksgiving dinner, um, we have the opportunity to say, wow, that's an interesting view. Um, um, or, you know, some kind way of saying that that particular candidate that you're talking about is outrageously homophobic and it's, it would not, it would make the world less safe and healthy for me to live in and see if you get a conversation. If you don't, you figure out what to do. Um, but I've been in some family situations. <coughs> Irish people do nothing. 
I like better than, than have a fight and hold a grudge. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've been at some family dinners that I might have even been responsible for a couple of them, um, where there were these huge, vicious fights. And, you know, the memory of Thanksgiving that year is that's the year Stephen and Uncle Ross had at it. Right? That's, that's everybody's memory. Um, and again, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, and so some people decide, you know what, I don't need to do family Thanksgiving next year. And so we begin this process of being less connected to other people. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes, you know, that feels safe and like what we need to do. Um, and sometimes it just it feels like it's not skillful and, and it doesn't build stronger community. Um, so the other thing, um, at, at an even deeper core than that for us is that, you know, aside from how it's going to impact others, the other thing we should do as we're taking those three deep breaths <clears throat> is figure out how it's going to impact us, right? So if we have a sense of integrity, um, if we have a sense of what kind of person do I want to be in the world? And for me, you know, I want to live simply, I want to um, be of service to other people, um, and I want to live with some ease. I want there to be some humor and some joy in my life and in the lives of anybody I encounter. So I try to do all those things. So if those are my purposes in life at this point, those three things are whatever your three might be, or five or ten. Um, what I can also say each time I get ready to speak to someone or each time I encounter my Aunt Clara voting for somebody who I don't, um, can't understand, um, what happens is it's like, where's that coming from in terms of my principles? So I've already thought about, you know, there are certain words that are just unskillful. You know if the sentence starts with, you crazy bitch. But that's, <laughs> that that's probably not going to be skillful. <laughs> right? Um, and you also know if, um, when, as you get ready to carefully explain to Aunt Clara what the situation is, if you stand up and tip the table over, that's, that's going to have an impact on everybody else. So we know that. But then at its basic core, it should, it, it, as we develop our spiritual practice, meditation, getting to our essential nature, who are we? Who are we as, as men? Who are we as people? Um, then we ask those questions, and, and we should have that sense of, of who we are. And so if my idea is to live simply, um, if my idea is to be of service, well, being of service to all of those folks wouldn't really be served by my tipping the table over. Um, and so maybe I want to think about um, uh, you know, whether or not I need to respond right now. Um, and my idea of living simply and being living with humility, um, um, not humiliation, that's a different talk, um, but with, hum with humility um, really means that I don't actually have to respond to Aunt Clara. She's been just fine for 75 years, um, and, and she'll be fine probably for another hundred. Um, but, but, you know, she does not, she is not, the world has not been waiting for me to render a judgment. Right? <laughs> Quiet as it's kept. I thought it was, I thought that was true for a while. Um, but I don't need to respond to everything. You know, there are times when for safety or, or health reasons, we do need to respond to people, places, and situations. I think we have a, we're a call to duty as a sangha, as a community, um, as members of our families. Um, but a lot of times, um, I think that's what the questions that Thich Nhat Hanh encourages us to ask are, um, <clears throat> you know, in service to what am I speaking right now? You know, sometimes somebody says something, 
um, and you just feel it. You know, you can feel it in your gut or your shoulders tense up and you start touching your ears or for some of us our jaw tightens and temperature rises. And when any of that stuff happens, the logical thing to do is let off some steam by saying something or, mm-hmm. or acting out in some way. And what the Buddha is teaching us, I think, is that if we get to our essential self, which is a place of compassion and a place of connection, um, those would be the exact wrong times to speak immediately. Um, that it would make great sense to um, wait until the second draft or the third draft comes up on, uh, on your uh, internal screen before we, before we speak about it. There's a great book. Um, it's called The Truth of This Life. Um, Zen Teachings on Loving the World as It Is by Catherine Thanis. Um, used to live here in San Francisco. So I'm going to read you a little couple paragraphs. Um, we are 100% individual and 100% a member of the community. We exist independently of all of the projections people have of us, and things are independent of our projections of them. And yet the way things exist is ultimately the same for all of us. We are members of the same community. Because we experience that things change, we begin to see there isn't anything to hang on to. Each situation in its own unique universe of causes and conditions. We begin to talk differently, hold opinions more provisionally, and not take ourselves so seriously. We help each other let go of our self-righteousness, our attachments to the separateness. Um, We sit to meet with that which we cannot know, and to be willing to see everything all the scenery of our consciousness along the way. It is a great relief to begin to live a life in accordance with reality as it is, rather than reality as I create it. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's, it's this question of how do we live in community, how do we live in Sangha, and how do we communicate with each other from a place that says, um, because you could almost, if you get too tied up in all this, you could think, well, I'm just not going to, I'm going to stand back from all conversation. And I'm going to stand back from anything that could cause me um, to feel frightened or angry or fearful. Um, and I don't think that that's possible, first of all. And I don't think it's a good idea. Um, I think that the teaching is um, <clears throat> the return to our essential self. So who are we and how do we want to meet each other? Because that's all of life is about meeting each other. And I don't mean just, hi, how you doing? I mean meeting in the Buddhist sense. That showing up fully present for another human being and allowing that other person to be fully present with you, knowing that on its face, if somebody comes in and says, this is your new coworker, um, and you'll be working together and hope you get along with each other, you know you're going to talk and have one kind of thing. And if they say, oh, by the way, um, next Monday she's going to become your supervisor. that's probably another set of conversations, and you are still meeting her, um, and you get a chance to take a look at, oh, so now how do I feel about that? Um, why, why am I not going to be the supervisor? Or why didn't I know about this? A favorite expression that we all hear these days is, there was no transparency. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you don't like what was done. It's very transparent. They hired somebody else. From that. <laughs> That's pretty transparent, actually. Um, so I think it's, it's that we understand, as Catherine said, that, that we are in the business of interpreting. There is no such thing as a solid truth. So that everything we hear, um, that we are interpreting. And, and so if we get comfortable with 
that we're doing that from a wholehearted place, from a spiritual place, um, as proud gay men um, all year long and certainly during this month, um, that we can understand that sometimes we have a need to debate. Um, and sometimes, <clears throat> I think I've shared this with, certainly with those of you that are on the retreat, my mantra that I use when I'm meditating um, is just two words, not now, mm-hmm. not now. Um, because stuff comes up as, as I'm meditating, and meditating on the cushion is good practice for, for out there. Um, and I just say, not now. doesn't mean it's going to go away. doesn't mean I'm in charge of it or can control it. Um, but I just, when it comes up, it's like, not now. Um, and that's what the Buddha refers to. Um, if you want to tame your ox, the Buddha taught us, give it a large field. So take that little thing that's making you crazy and put it out there in the rest of the context of the world. So I may need to fight with Aunt Clara right now because of something she said, right? Um, but in point of fact, she said some, she made a comment at dinner time. I don't need to respond to that at dinner. I may not need to respond to it at all. I may, after I've had a little time to think and talk, engage her in conversation because it might be interesting to hear what she has to say. Um, might be. Um, <laughs> might be. Um, and so I think that's uh, another teaching of the Buddha that, that's so important is that um, we sometimes think when we come here on a Sunday or wherever you do your meditation, ah, I'm going to drop out of life. I'm going to drop out of life and have this opportunity to just breathe and to not be confounded by the news and the, you know, the neighbors who are noisy and whatever, whatever. Um, and that's the ultimate teaching of the Buddha is that that's not taking a pause from life. That is life. That when we sit on the cushion and when we allow ourselves to be centered in our universe, and we allow that stuff comes up, everything arises, everything abides for a while, and then everything goes away, um, or goes drastically altered, right? So, so I think that that's <clears throat> a tremendous gift for us um, when we say, hmm, so that's not life out there and my rest on the cushion. This is life, and I get to take this out, out into the world with me. Um, and so I think it, um, yeah, so I think that what we want to do is figure out ways that we can skillfully and compassionately engage first with ourselves, um, because has anybody had a great idea this week that you then realized later was not right or not true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first to, um, to really um, have a chance to <clears throat> uh, give ourselves some peace and, and recognition. You know, if we know that all of our thoughts are the product of genetics and experiences and where we're at right now and who else is there and, you know, what the purpose of the conversation is, if we know all that, we have much less um, need um, to be right, much less need to make everybody else so clearly understanding of why I'm right that they will all change their opinions to match mine exactly. and so, so what we get the sense to do is start with ourselves and just say, I absolutely knew that this was the right answer to that question, or this was the right person to vote for, this was the, I absolutely knew that to be true. And then it wasn't true. Um, or my idea about it changed, or I got more information, <laughs> or, you know, I, I figured out that my interpretation was just not right. Um, and so, in Buddhism, we have those teachings. Everybody remembers probably the five remembrances. I'm the nature to grow old. There's nothing I can do about it, etc. Those, those. One of those says, all that is dear to me and everyone I love have the nature to change. And there's no way to escape being separated from change. Um, and then it goes on to talk about that my actions are the grounds upon which I stand, upon which I build my life. 
And those of you that know Mel Weitzman, the abbot at the Berkeley Zen Center, that's his, that's his primary teaching that he always gives, which is when you're confronted by something in life, don't attach and don't turn away. That what you should do is stand still and go deep. And the deepness um, is to go into ourselves and figure out what's really going on. You know, my jaw tightening up or my gut clenching and my wanting to say something immediately and to be the most persuasive person in the room. Um, you know, go, deep, go a little deeper and see what it is. And those questions I asked earlier, as you're going deeper, it's like, why do I need to say this? You know, why do I need to say this? What's, what's in it for me? What, what's in it for the other people? What will be the impact it has on me? Um, and, and what will be the impact it has on other people that are in this room or that will encounter people who are in this room um, later? So as we um, get ready to think about those things, I think, um, in Buddhism, we're taught um, to meet other pe- that in meeting other people, we meet ourselves. So every time I encounter somebody, Aunt Clara, Uncle Bob, various elected people, um, I get a chance to really know myself better. How I respond, what I say, what I think, if I get closer or move farther away, it's all an opportunity um, for me to know a little bit more about myself. Um, and so I think that... Um, that um, this, the teaching um, that we have today, um, there's a poem that I will close with um, by Katagiri Roshi, and he says, um, it's called A Peaceful Life. Being told that it's impossible, one believes in despair, is that so? Being told that it is possible, one believes in excitement, is that right? But whichever is chosen, it does not fit easily into one's heart. Being asked what is unfitting, I don't know what it is, but my heart knows somehow. I feel an irresistible desire to know what a mystery a human is. As to this mystery, I can clarify knowing how to live, knowing how to walk with other people, knowing how to teach other people. And if I do this, this is the Buddha. And by vow, we are all the Buddha. So be good to yourselves today Mm -hmm. and this month. Happy Pride. Questions, thought, lies you'd like to tell? <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful. And I've seen Boys in the Band in two weeks. <laughs> what do you Lucky. think? What do you think about it? I'll see it in two weeks. I, the movie was uh, very hard. Difficult. Yeah. Yeah. How many people have seen the movie? How many people enjoyed the movie? <laughs> yeah, interesting word, right? Yeah. I mean, at the time when it came out, yeah. it was the only thing there. You take like the little scraps, but yeah. but but you know that that final scene where it's like, oh, if only we just didn't hate each other so much. Right. But then it's got great lines like, one thing you can say about masturbation, you certainly don't have to look your best. (laughs) (laughs) We we were bitter, but we were funny. (laughs) I saw a movie this week called First Reformed with Ethan Hawke. And and again, here's just a movie, it's about a spiritual community, blah, blah, blah. And I thought it was, um, it it um, uh, wasn't good for me. And I went home, and there's a Buddhist teacher who's posted on Facebook, um, a place I don't belong, 
um, shouldn't be, uh, but she's posted on Facebook that she's recommending everyone see this movie. It was the most powerful movie movie she's ever seen. And for those of you that have seen it, she said, and it's completely humorous. She said it's moving and humorous. And I said, humorous. <laughs> I don't know what was humorous, but anyway. So it's like sort of like a reaction. It's a strong reaction because it's definitely a, a movie with a point. Anybody else in here see it? Did you find it humorous and amusing? <laughs> no, me either. But so somebody else did, right? And that's that's where we get to back up because you know part of me in the old days, especially when I first got on Facebook, um, would have immediately. You, know, <laughs> you, you should not be allowed to go to the movies. Let alone comment on. Yeah, let alone yeah, keep it to yeah. yeah. Um, and now it was just like, well, first of all, it's Facebook, so I, I don't need to say anything. Um, and second of all. Everybody's, you know, that that was her experience at that moment of that movie, um, and so as a compassionate Buddhist person, my my um, thing might be, you know, how do I reach out to her to find to find out um, what sort of support she might need if she thought that was funny? <laughs> <laughs> Progress, not perfection. <laughs> so the way you describe, uh, you know, the interaction, the boys in the band. And then, you know, you talk about the three filters that we should pass through mm -hmm. before we say anything. You know, it, it occurred to me that the way we sometimes operate as gay men, especially back then, was there was a fourth filter, but it was or. You know, is it is it timely, is it true, is it, or is it witty? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, you can say it. Well, is it pain reducing? Right? Mm -hmm. right. Does it, is it distress reducing? If right. you live in that stressful world all week long, you get together with your friends, you could sit around the table, you know, now that I'm this age, you could sit around the table and talk about all the things that are wrong with you and whine and complain about it. Um, and so we didn't do that. What we did instead was we thought about all the things that were wrong. And instead of saying, you know, my boss is oppressive, my family is oppressive, and that, you know, you could do that a couple of times. There's a couple of those lines in the movie. Um, but you could do what you're saying, which is, you know, Let's, let's make the best, you know. Um, in other cultures, people have come up with beautiful spiritual practices and songs that people sang. You know, African Americans in this country have beautiful music that came out of complete oppression because it was a way to respond to that um, when responding in other ways would have been life-threatening. So, you know, so music, humor, um, a lot of dance that I've seen is, is a dance in response to um, realities of the world that, that couldn't be spoken. So. Thank you, Steve. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> next week we'll have an open discussion followed by Alistair Shanks and then, uh, oh, on Gay Pride Sunday we have David Lewis. How dare he? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he know it's a holiday? <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> Do we have a host? David. So, um, help yourself to healthy treats, although there is one item that is sweet, and that's uh, hummus, sweet hummus, mm -hmm. as in sweet chickpea. So, let's see, the second part is a welcome to the new people. Um, are there any new people? Show hands. Welcome. And let's see, if you want to get on our mailing list um, on Credenza, just for the email thing. Um, if you drink tea, 
Um, there's tons of water, hot water. Just spray your cup, find it gently, please. <laughs> <laughs> In the sink, and I'll um, do that part. And um, at 12.30, a lot of us, um, especially for a new person, please join us, because that's where we get to really meet each other and engage. And the fourth item is in reference to the Donable. And this is an opportunity to not run away from me, but as you see me come with the bowl, it's an opportunity to practice generosity. So, and please, eat the snacks, because I don't want to bring any of it back. <laughs> any other announcements? Uh, Jeff, I just wanted to say thank you to you and Hal for building our speaker lineup. Well, you know, cultivating that. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's the glue that holds a lot of this together. And it's, uh, I know it's not easy work, and you're, you're out beating the bushes far and wide. But, you know, you're just a coordinator. Yeah. But, you know, so anyway, we, we very much appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you for rescuing me from the front. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, gather in a circle for our dedication here. <laughs> By the power and truth of this practice, May all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. <coughs> Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.